0: Hello, Wade Cox here, and welcome to the Ski with Wade podcast. I've been involved with this sport of water skiing for over 40 years now. I was fortunate enough to be a professional, and now I'm a full-time water ski coach. Today's guest and I will be talking about water skiing. We'll also be talking a little bit about travel, and maybe a little about life as well. Thanks for joining us today. Ski with Wade, cut more Road. Hey guys, welcome back. Ski with Wade podcast 16. I want to thank today's sponsor, Fogarty's Lake Flower Marina. This is in Saranac Lake, New York. And you guys got to check this out. It is a very, very cool dealership located right on the water. They've got ski nautiques. They've got Lund fishing boats. They've got these wicked cool pontoon boats. And then a full pro shop with all your wake surf, wakeboard, water ski gear, gear that you'd wear on the boat, you can check them out at h 2 oproshopcom I've been coming here for years, one of my favorite spots of the summer. So also check out skiwithwade.com. You can always see my tour dates on there. You can catch any of my old podcast episodes that are uploaded there. You can check out any of my merch, Cut More Rope Gear, Ski With Wade Gear. Got some HO product on there as well, so check it out. I've got a couple guests today. Our first one is Mr. Terrence Fogarty, owner of Fogarty's Lake Flower Marina. How are you, Terrence?
1: Great. Got a good set in this morning, so I'm ready to go. What time do you ski? We skied at 7.30 this morning.
0: Wasn't that cold this morning?
1: It wasn't bad. Yeah, it was better than earlier in the week. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so so do you do you still have the the boat with the full setup on it
1: yeah yeah full enclosure yeah yeah so, so enclosure yeah <laughs> so it's like an
0: indoor boat you know it, it's like in your living room you got to come up here and really check it out how beautiful the area is how cool the lakes look so how long have you guys been here
1: 20 years this year did you start the dealership no so this this marina has been here since uh like early 1900s Charlie Keogh used to work on wooden boats here. You know, I think he died when he was 97. And then the daughters ran it for a couple of years after that. And then we bought it from them in 2001. So I moved from Charleston where I was skiing at Trophy Lakes and doing engineering work there. And, uh, you know, this place came up for sale and we decided to go for it. And it's been a, you know, been a great move. So I grew up here also. So
0: See, we're in upstate New York just west of lake placid so we're way up there not far from O canada so what's your ski season
1: you know we get in the water usually in may and then you know because we're so busy at the marina at that point i'm a little slow on starting the season but then we push it if i'm going to a tournament down south then we'll push it to november you know or till it freezes over so that end we ski really cold you know early end we get out there some but unfortunately the course didn't go until june 1st this year it's kind of embarrassing but uh
0: the dealership is open year round, though.
1: Yeah, you know we do kind of major work on the place and on boats in the wintertime and you know try to sell boats in the off season and do pretty well with that. But the uh, you know it's a resort area, so the, the you know the real the second homeowners up here are, are a big part of our market. They're kind of here from July fourth to Labor Day, so you know it's a pretty easy schedule in the winter time. I coach skiing and ski race myself, and have you know five kids that were all ski racers, so. Busy with that in the winter time, you know, work some, and then it, you know, mid-April we're we're hammering until the ice is back on the lake. So
0: obviously, you're a Cretcraft ski nautique dealer. You got I could see all, all the super airs sitting around, but let's talk about these pontoon boats that you got. Well, what's your brand? Bennington. Bennington, yeah. and it's more of a higher end brand, same as Cretcraft.
1: Yeah, so Bennington built their brand through kind of winning all the quality awards. Our philosophy here, you know, Lund is kind of the best aluminum fishing boat out there. And, you know, obviously Nantiques are very high quality as well. So we're in a small area and we've taken the approach to try to sell the best products that we can. I do lose some sales on price periodically, but to me, that's more important to, you know, sell a higher end product and have people happy with it than it is to, sell every single boat that we can well
0: right before the pandemic started i took a couple friends to a boat show and they hadn't seen these new modern day pontoon vessels you know and uh they were blown away they're like oh my gosh this is like you know they they were thinking of their grandfather's pontoon yeah they've upgraded a little bit since
1: yeah so i i I took a guy out in a you know it's a 40 mile an hour plus pontoon boat the other day with a 250 horse motor I said to the guy, you know, he was pretty excited about it too. I I was on a demo ride and I said to the guy, this is, I never thought I'd I'd get an adrenaline rush driving a pontoon boat (laughs) because I have this really complex uh, center pontoon that's like trapezoidal shaped. It's got a little, you know, hydraulic, electric over hydraulic steering. So they almost turn like a, an inboard does, you know, they, you know, you're screaming down the lake in a school bus basically. And uh, so you can do a lot more with them than you could traditional boats, there was a time frame in between there where they had deck boats that were, you know, were starting to gain traction, but then the pontoon boats became higher performing. So, you know, that that's the direction we've gone to, you know, continue with these higher performing pontoons and they're fun.
0: Yeah, they're the uh, obviously the look of them changed tremendously as well. I mean, to where. Yeah, we talked about our grandfather's pontoons. We were like, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't really want one of those. And now it's like, I was on, on Bob Marley's last night. Shout out to Bob and cruising Lake going, wow, this is really luxury, you know?
1: Yeah, so you know, my, my, my can statement is it's a living room on the water. When we bought the marina, I wasn't a big pontoon guy. <laughs> we knew we had to sell them because we kind of have to be a little bit everything to everybody up here. I, I changed my mind pretty quickly, you know, if they're really comfortable. We have two of them in our family, and uh, it's pizza night on Friday nights out on a pontoon boat or, you know, loaded up with a family and, and food and drinks. It, it's kind of
0: like taking your dock or your boathouse out on the water, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, my, my tune has changed on them. I'm still not going to try to run a long course with one, but uh, kind of everything else they do very well.
0: You guys got an ice cream shop here on the on the premises.
1: Yeah, so we have two ice cream stands, one in Placid and one here. My brother worked there as a kid, so he runs the ice cream stands, you know, and I run the marina, and, you know, we're both owners in both. It's a pretty good relationship. From It's not always easy working with family, and I would say my brother Jay and I work really well together. And then, you know, we make major decisions together, but he's kind of hands-off in the marina, and I'm kind of... Hands off in the ice cream stand, you know, except from consumption standpoint. So,
0: so how many ice cream cones do you guys sell
1: a year? uh I, Yeah, that's not an answer. I, <laughs> how many do I eat myself? I, that I might be able to answer, but I don't. I don't know how many we sell.
0: No, no, I, I would be horrible if I if I was here. I'd have one every day. Yeah, yeah I couldn't stop myself.
1: So I'm not going to have one every day, right? <laughs> and then three o'clock rolls around, and it's like I anyway. I have to make the trip across the parking lot, but.
0: Uh, if you guys have heard of the name, Terrence Fogarty used to be on the pro tour. When did you sort of start your tournament skiing? Did you do it around here? Cause I remember you being in Florida years ago.
1: You know, we skied on the lake growing up. We put in a homemade course every now and then, and maybe did a recreational tournament around here that you'll meet John in a minute, but he would put those on. So, but I, I snow ski raced really, really pretty seriously. And then graduated from college and, Still kept snow ski racing, but I was quite a bit older than the people I was racing against. So I was still, you know, skiing pretty well and improving, but there's kind of nowhere to go with it. So I bought an inboard, found a lake with a course on it. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to start going to tournaments, start skiing every night. And instead of training snow skiing, I'm going to see what I can do with water skiing. So this was in western New York. And then I I also got an in to ski at Dave's Pond in Edinburgh, PA, which is a great site. You know, I got to, you know, level of qualifying for nationals and kind of saw that's the higher level that most people are around in the Northeast. So I'm like, OK, if I'm going to get better at this, I'm going to have to go down south. So I worked in aerospace bearings manufacturing as an engineer and quit my job, went to Florida, worked for Mike Hazelwood for one winter, and then he closed his ski school. So the next year and then, you know, for probably uh, four or five years after that, I worked with Jennifer Leachman.
0: O-Town, right? Yeah, right, yeah. yeah O-Town Water Sports. Yep. yep, yeah,
1: helped her develop that. And then I would come back up here in the, in, to New York in the summertime, do contract engineering, so I you know, could still make still make some money, work at restaurants and the ski schools in the, in the wintertime. So yeah, then I could ski year-round. I got a lot better at it and you know, skied on tour. And we'd go to tournaments, as you did, we'd go to tournaments at Charleston all year long, right? I got engaged down there. The company I was doing contract engineering for did an Aerospace Bearings Repair Center startup there. So I signed on for that immediately and then was you know skiing a trophy at that point in time. And then this place came up for sale and we moved home. So I get back here and I was kind of thinking I was going to be done. And uh, John Wilkins walks in the store and needed a cruise control for his boat and asked me if I wanted to ski. I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm not, I'm used to skiing every day. And he goes, well, we ski every day. And I'm like, I don't know. Let me think about it. So then he comes in a couple of weeks later, asked about the cruise control again. And I said, Yeah, you want to start skiing? He goes, What's the price? And I go, well, That depends if we're going to ski together or not. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. So, John and I have been skiing together for 20 years now. And I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't still be skiing tournaments and doing that kind of thing if it wasn't for John. And then since then, I've motivated him to, him to ski, you know, early on motivated him to ski tournaments and created a monster there because he's really into it now, too. So we've kind of developed a, you know, there's, it's kind of a pocket of slalom skiers up here, which is kind of rare, but a pretty strong water ski slalom culture up here that we've developed. And, you know, we still, you know, it's in the I, I was never really into wakeboarding and I kind of missed out on a lot of the higher-end boat sales because of that, but we've gotten really into the wake surfing. And so, you know, we're developing that culture up here. But I think just because of my passion, we've got, a you know, the culture of slalom skiing up here has, has grown.
0: Talk about the culture. There's been quite a few skiers for for you guys exceptionally short season compared to florida or where i live in texas i mean i can just sort of go down the list mark crone wayne grimditch and then some some modern day heroes jamie boshane and chris rossi right ridges from next door in new hampshire and vermont
1: yeah yeah so you know i mean and probably a lot of these people are like me where the snow ski thing crosses over so when I was in Florida, if I'd take a couple months off, I'd go back to to the skiing and it felt like you're going 900 miles an hour, couldn't run a pass kind of thing. And now that I snow ski a hundred days a year and we go down to Florida to ski, like, you know, I'll snow ski here and we'll drive to Florida and, you know, start water skiing the next day. It doesn't feel fast because you've been snow skiing faster and the turn is there. You just don't have the power. But I think that doing it all winter long translates really nicely to, you know, to water skiing. And I think that's why you, you know, you saw Rossi and Boshane do a lot of snow skiing all winter long, but still be able to ski to water ski at a high level, even though they didn't necessarily, you know, ski 12. I know Chris did some, but didn't necessarily ski 12 months a year. So. Well,
0: it was sort of interesting. I remember Jamie Boshane, he was doing an interview or something. And I heard him say, well, when I get to snow ski all winter, I'm practicing my water ski turns. And I was like, okay, I'm not a good enough snow skier, maybe to comprehend that, but it really intrigued me. I'm like, wow, imagine, because, you know, obviously we get, we get a very short energy tank when it comes to, to running a few slalom passes. It takes an, an extraordinary amount of energy and your heart rate goes through the roof. So I was looking for something, you know, to extend my career i was getting older and i had little kids so i i got into mountain biking and that was sort of you know my way of well i can actually if i could learn to ride the bike as if i was imagining i was going through a ski turn i actually got to where i i I was i was like wow i'm actually imagining hey i'm going through a turn going okay don't hit the brakes you know, like like in water ski, let's let's not jam on the feet or not rip on the line. Let's just imagine we're riding a snow ski or a snowboard or a skateboard, and we're just going to cruise on through. So no, it was it was really interesting, sort of learning from somebody that was younger than me that was kicking my arse. You know, at one point I'm like, wow, okay, so uh, that that was a really neat thing for me. So I couldn't imagine being as good as snow skiers as you guys are. So. Let's talk about this crossover between snowskin and water skin, because I asked you right before we came on, you said you weren't the first, but if any of you guys have heard of Fogman, that's his nickname. That's also was your hard shell brand. So let's talk about it. you were one of the very first skiers to use a hard shell.
1: Yeah. So uh, Jennifer Leishman and I developed, you know, our system. You know, pretty early on and, you know, a lot of people, you know, Jamie Boshane skied on it. had a lot of higher level skiers on it, had, you know, world records set on it, national records set on it. A lot of nationals medals and world championship medal. So, yeah, it, it, you know, very successful. We had a patent on rotational adjustment of the bindings or have. I was taking a pair of uh, HO bindings and putting double wraps on them and putting plastic in between them because I was trying to ski with my lower leg, like I would with a snow ski boot and making them as laterally as I could. You you know, then when we started, started with, you know, the hard shell bindings, it my my skiing went, you know, I went from a, you know, record tournament score of mid 35 to, you know, a couple of 39 the next year. So for me, you know, it translated really well. So taking my snow ski turn and, and being able to, to make it work like it did in the wintertime, the binding certainly helped that.
0: Well, well, so Terrence, I used a hard shell for three passes, three. And on the third one, I was already convinced that it was going to take me probably like doing a one handed gate. It was going to take me about three seasons to actually make the adjustments to sort of go through all of the trial and error of being in a new situation, meaning you're early to a buoy, you're late to a buoy. It's a crosswind. It's a rolly headwind and I'm just like, I don't, I don't have three years to, to relearn it, but it seems to be that, I mean, I'm seeing all these kids now that they just, as soon as they try the hard shell, they're like, oh my gosh, that's so much better. So, so how much better are they now than sort of the early days of the hard shells?
1: So our early ones still ski, ski very similarly to the ones I'm on now. I'm got a new release system that's 90 plus percent developed. We we kind of gave a preview of it at nationals last year, but the actual skiing side of it's pretty similar. But what I think is a little bit different for, for me, when we were putting people on hard shells, it was, okay, a you had people skiing on a lot softer bindings back then to start with. You come now with the, the non hard shell bindings are a lot stiffer laterally than, you know, say a traditional O'Brien binding would have been back then. You know, Jennifer Leishman got on these coming off the O'Brien bindings and, you know, couldn't get up the first time. But she put the time in on them because she could see how instantaneously it improved my skiing. And then, you know, she put the time in on them and, and, and improved a lot. But so but anyway, in today, today, the the non-hidroshell bindings are a lot stiffer laterally. So the transition is easier to them. They're a lot more accepted now. So you know, people are gravitating towards them. So for me, it was, okay, you got to put 10 sets in on, on these for some people just to get back to normal. And then you'll see improvement there. That was kind of my canned line because, and I sold them, I didn't let people demo them because they needed a financial commitment in them to put the time in yeah. to get to use them. And, I, and you know, I, and I'm like, yeah, I'm selling them to higher end people. At the time people were, you know, kind of getting deals on skis and could demo anything they wanted and I felt that it wasn't, you know, it, it it didn't work that way very well for this product. Yeah, it was it was very successful, and you know, you saw a lot of really high scores comparatively on them. And now it's more the norm. And you know, there's you know different ones out there. It's more accepted. And uh, but where the improvement lies, you know, where I'm going with this release system is both from a performance and flexibility ski perspective to a you know to how the thing release yeah is. just the safety aspects yeah. on the
0: backside exactly you know right it's a,
1: i don't like to use that word because it's a scary sport going from 60 to zero no matter what you're on but uh, this thing is 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 much more releasable than anything else that's 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 out there and you know really excited about it hard part for me yeah is getting to the finish line while i'm trying to still <laughs> snow ski ski and run a few businesses so
0: and raise five kids well yeah so right. let's talk yeah. about you got the. Uh, Sully, he's out in the shop now. Is is your water skier of the group?
1: Yeah, and my youngest, Paul, just okay. kind of started getting into it last year, and he's a really good little snow skier too. So, you know, he picked it up really quickly as well.
0: So. And you got a set of twins graduating high school, and they're track stars.
1: Yeah, headed to headed to Portland next week for nationals. That's pretty special. Going to go, you know, see two year kids run one of
0: them's running the two mile
1: Peter just set set some records in the two mile but they're both gonna run steeplechase out there you know I think Peter's probably in the world of top five or six in the country in steeple and you know Andrew's probably in the world of top 25 He, he talked to his college coach about what he should run out there and you know the consensus is go to the go to the one where you got a pretty good shot of doing something in and uh Andrews qualified in justice, justice steeple. Peter's qualified in a few other events too, so or, or a few events. So,
0: no, that's so but exciting. yeah, they're both going to run the yeah. steeple.
1: I think they may run in different heats, but yeah. pretty cool to watch your twins run in the nationals in the same event. Oh, right? that's crazy! <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, no, yeah. that is absolutely yeah. absurd. I, I love that, Terrence. Thank you so much. We're going to have a little chat with your buddy now. Our next guest, John Wilkins, here. Just John is a old friend of mine. He is from. Next door over here at Lake Placid, which is a what a five mile long lake, John. Uh, call it three and a half long and uh, maybe a mile wide. I acquired uh, John uh, in a roundabout way when I bought Robert's ski school. There was uh, Big Dave. Shout out to Big Dave. Dave Harvey came with the uh, property, as did John Wilkins and Little Dave, Dave Wengert. So uh, it, I just acquired friendships through the purchase and so now you summer here that's right i live down in orlando but i uh, still spend the summers up here in lake placid if you have heard of la pointe ski park john's sort of the major d yeah i was gonna say i, I was gonna try to think of something cool because yeah john's like the cool guy there if, if you if you can't get a hold of Crystal Point or jennifer John's the guy. He'll he'll open the gate for you and dry the boat for you. And John is a hell of a skier. Still running 35? Uh, doing my best and uh, getting around all six a uh, time or two. Hope to do that this weekend at a tournament down at Peck's Pond. The same. How, how is the summer skiing here after you come from Orlando in May when it's, you know, 95 degrees and 95% humidity and you come up to some New England uh, weather when it's the wind's whipping and the water's cold. Believe it or not, it feels great. Nothing bad about skiing in Florida year-round, but coming up here and getting in the colder water and with my you know twenty-year-long ski friend Terrence here and his son Sully and a couple other folks, it's wonderful. And the first thing I notice is that my feet don't cramp up skiing in the colder <laughs> right. water up here like they are down in Florida right now. Well, that's awesome, John. It's been cool knowing you uh, for all these years. The same with Terrence. Uh, I'm going to wrap up here uh, by saying thank you so much, Terrence, for sponsoring our podcast today. You guys got to check it out. Fogarty's Flower Lake Marina. As I mentioned, they're a big Nautique dealer. They've got a full pro shop with all the goodies. If you're looking to purchase some stuff, you got to check it out. h 2 oproshopcom you can reach them there, and I'll put the link up on my website. So you'll be able to click on and come up here to shop. And also, I want to mention my website again, SkiWithWade.com. You can check out my tour dates. This podcast will be uploaded on there. You can check out any of my merch that I have my Cutmore Rope gear, my Ski With Wade gear. That's a wrap for Ski With Wade podcast 16. Thanks for listening guys. Ski with Wade. Cut More Rope. That's a wrap this week for Ski with Wade Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to email me at wade at skiwithwade.com or direct message me on Instagram or Facebook with any questions you may have. We'll cut more rope next week, Ski with Wade.